0: The text for this morning's worship service is Acts chapter 16, the verses 6 through 15. And we will read those verses once again. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized she begged us saying If you have ju- if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord come to my house and stay So she persuaded us thus far our text Beloved Congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The conversion of Lydia, as described in our text, took place in the important Macedonian city of Philippi. This city was important in ancient Greece and Rome because it was intertwined with so many important people and events. For example, Our text notes that Philippi was a colony, that is, a Roman colony, and it received this honor because 40 years before the birth of Christ, one of the most important battles in all of ancient Rome took place at the city of Philippi. This is where Mark Antony and Octavian, later known as Caesar Augustus, defeated the army of Brutus and Cassius two men who had recently assassinated Julius Caesar. But the city of Philippi had been been around long before that important battle. 300 years earlier, the city was called Cronides, but it was renamed Philippi in honor of King Philip II of Greece. King Philip is significant not just because the city is named after him, But because he had a very important person, he had a son who would become a very important person in world history. And this son was named Alexander. Now as you might guess, this would become, he would become Alexander the Great. And soon Alexander the Great would march eastward out of Macedonia and conquer vast amounts of the known world. Alexander is called great because he conquered the world so rapidly. In the eyes of secular historians, Alexander is the greatest conqueror this world has ever seen. But unbeknownst to most secular historians, Greece would see a greater conqueror than Alexander the Great. Just over 300 years after the death of Alexander, the great son of David... Jesus Christ, was born in the town of Bethlehem. He was born in humble circumstances, but our Lord would become the greatest conqueror this world has ever seen. And of course, our Lord does not conquer nations with physical weapons, but he uses the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. As far as we know, when Paul and his companions set foot in Macedonia or modern day Greece, this was the first time that an apostle of Jesus Christ had took the gospel to these lands. This was the official start of the church in Europe, you could say. This is when the gospel invaded that continent and would would soon spread to the west and to the north. And eventually it would conquer the whole continent. As one historian commented, out of Macedonia Alexander the Great once went to conquer the eastern world, but later from Macedonia the power of the gospel went to conquer the western world of Paul's day. And this brings us to the theme of the sermon, which is the Lord begins to build his church in Europe by converting Lydia We'll see first that the Lord leads the apostles to Philippi. Second, the Lord opens Lydia's heart to believe the gospel. And third, the Lord works the fruit of faith in Lydia's life. Earlier we read from Acts 15, which tells us how Paul and Silas left Jerusalem together to go on Paul's second missionary journey. The Jerusalem council had just taken place, And Paul now had in mind to strengthen the churches that were established on his first missionary journey. And to pass along the decisions made at the Jerusalem Council. So, Paul and Silas first traveled north from Jerusalem up to Antioch. And then traveled westward into Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And a little ways into their journey, Paul was privileged to meet Timothy in the city of Lystra, And since the believers spoke well of him there, Paul decided to take Timothy along with them on their journey. And this would be the start of a long and fruitful relationship between the two of them. And from Lystra, the trio of workers pressed on towards the province of Asia. Paul wanted to strengthen the churches established in that region. However, we read something rather striking in verse 6. Verse 6 says, of chapter 16, says that Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, but did not go into Asia because the Holy Spirit had forbidden them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. The three men had to keep traveling forward because the Holy Spirit himself did not want them to preach the gospel in that region. And as we read those words, this might make us make scratch our heads and wonder, what's going on here? Why would the Holy Spirit prevent them from doing this? Doesn't God want his message of salvation to go out to all people? But that's not all. Verse 7 says something similar. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. And again, this probably almost sounds bizarre to our ears. Again, Paul and his companions wants to go into an area to build a church, but the Holy Spirit prevents them. We don't know, we don't know how he prevented them, but somehow he made it clear they were not to go into those areas to, to build the church at that time. So again, we might ask, why would God not want them entering into Bithynia too? Weren't the apostles commanded to preach the gospel to all nations? And perhaps this company of men even became a little bit frustrated. They had been journeying a long ways already. They wanted to build God's church, to preach the gospel. But every region they go, it seems that they're not allowed to enter into that region. And indeed, we might feel this same sentiment today, too, as we seek to build God's church but experience setbacks. Building God's church can suffer from frustrating turns of events sometimes. Perhaps the elders can experience that from time to time. And mission work, too, can at times suffer from frustrating setbacks and it can seem to our eyes as if God is not blessing our work. And these difficulties can make us wonder, what is God up to? Why isn't he blessing our efforts? Now, whether we are involved in mission work or simply part of building up the local congregation, sometimes it might feel like God is working against our work and all of our labor seems useless. But if these things happen, we must remember this. God has a plan for building his church. God works according to his sovereign good pleasure. Certainly, God does want his church to be built all over the world, but he will do so in his good timing and in his good way. Every living stone is added to the temple of God when and where he wants it to. When building God's church and laboring for God's glory turns into a difficult ex- exercise, always remember that God has a plan. And often it takes hindsight to see this. You see, just because at this time the Holy Spirit did not want these men to enter into Asia and Bithynia, this did not mean that he did not want the church to be built in those areas. On Paul's third missionary journey, then he is allowed to enter into the province of Asia. And in fact, the the, the letters to the churches in, in the book of Revelation, the letters to the seven churches, those churches are all located in the province of Asia. God would build his church in those areas, but in his timing. And for now, the Lord has other plans. And he wants, his, wants Paul and his companions to travel elsewhere. So while they were staying in Troas, right on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea, one night Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Upon waking up, Paul discussed it with his fellow travelers and they concluded that God wanted them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. Which is modern day Greece. God wanted the apostles to enter into Europe to preach the gospel there for the first time. Think for a moment how differently world history would have gone had God not called them over to Macedonia. God could have sent them eastward to India instead if He wanted to, but God, in His good pleasure, wanted them to build the church in Europe. And this group was at, was at this point, the group at this point was joined by Luke. And so the four of them made their way through two cities before entering the Roman colony of Philippi. And since this was a Roman colony, it meant the church of Jesus Christ was advancing further and further into Caesar's territory. Further onto Roman property. Christ was going to build his kingdom right in the heart of Caesar's own kingdom. Caesar himself and all the Roman citizens would soon find out that there was another Lord above the Lord Caesar. The other Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our second point. Our text then says that on the Sabbath day, Paul and his companions went down to the river because they ex- They expected to find a place of prayer. Paul's usual strategy when he came to a city was to first enter into a synagogue to preach the gospel there, but 10 Jewish men were needed to form a synagogue, and it appears that there were not even 10 Jewish men living in the city of Philippi. So, as they made their way down to the river, they met a group of women who were gathered there for the Sabbath day. And Paul and his fellow workers sat down on the grass and began to speak to the women there about Jesus Christ, the only Savior. And the women were probably thrilled to have some knowledgeable Jewish men who could explain the scriptures to them in a city where there were so few Jewish men around. And as the women listened, Paul began to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. He would have explained to these women how God had finally sent the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. He would have told them the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, how Jesus Christ was the great high priest who sacrificed his own body on the cross for his people's sins, He may have explained to them how God had finally sent the promised offspring of David who was a good and righteous king, the one that Israel had been longing for for so many years and how this king shared his righteousness with his people and conquered death by his resurrection. Paul and his companions explained to the women the good news of Jesus Christ And this is the message that the church must bring to the world. This is the message that God uses to build his church and to work faith in people's hearts. And God did use that message to build his church in Philippi. Verse 14 says that among the women sitting there was a woman from Thyatira named Lydia, who was a dealer in purple, that is, purple cloth. The text says she was a worshiper of God. Now, literally, the original text says that she was a God-fearer, a God-fearer. And the label God-fearer was a technical term or name that the Jews had for Gentile people who were attracted to Judaism and admired the Scriptures, but they were not yet full converts to Judaism and Lydia was one of these people. Verse 14 says that God opened up Lydia's heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Or an even better translation would, would be that the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. And this is an important detail. Even though she was a God-fearer and religiously inclined, we might say, the Lord still needed to regenerate Lydia. He still needed to open up her heart so that she could respond to the message in faith. And this shows us that without God's miraculous working in our lives, our hearts are closed to him and to the gospel. See, we do not have the ability to believe the gospel on our own in our sinful state. Even the faith we have is a gift given to us directly from God's hand. And Paul would remind the Philippian church later on in Philippians 1, verse 29 it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to believe on him. And our Lord granted that gift of faith to Lydia. It was he who brought the gospel to her, and it was he who worked faith in her heart. This truth is wonderfully summarized for us in the Canons of Dort. I would ask you now to open up the Canons of Dort, actually. Open up your books of praise to turn to page 571, and we will read the third and fourth Head of Doctrine, Article 11, page 571. Oh, sorry, I got the page number wrong. 577. Article 11, How God Brings About Conversion. God carries out his good pleasure in the elect and works in them true conversion in the following manner. He takes care that the gospel is preached to them. And powerfully enlightens their minds by the Holy Spirit so that they may rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God. By the efficacious working of the same regenerating Spirit, he also penetrates into the innermost recesses of man. He opens the closed and softens the hard heart, circumcises that which was uncircumcised, and instills new qualities into the will. He makes the will which was dead, alive, which was bad, good, which was unwilling, willing, and which was stubborn, obedient. He moves and strengthens it so that, like a good tree, it may be able to produce the fruit of good works. You see, this is what the Lord did for Lydia in our text. The Lord granted her the gift of faith. He opened up her heart so that she could respond to the gospel. You see, Lydia is one reason why Paul and his companions were prevented from going into Asia and Bithynia. God had set his eternal love upon Lydia of Thyatira. He took care that the gospel was preached to her. Even sending Paul hundreds of miles across land and sea so that on this particular Sabbath day, in this particular city, in this particular spot, Paul and his companions would sit down, preach the gospel to her, and that the Lord would work faith in her heart. That is how much the Lord loved Lydia he prevented these men from entering into other places so that he could bring the gospel to her and gather her into, her into his church. And that is the sovereign love and grace of our God. And this is what the Lord also does for us. It might not look as drastic as the conversion of Lydia, but do you understand that even just by being born to Christian parents and being exposed to the gospel at an early age, that God has taken great care that the gospel would be preached to you? Or if you heard the gospel later in life, do you understand that God has taken great care that the gospel would be spoken to you at just the right time? Do you see the sovereign grace of your God and that he has led you to church so that you might hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you realize that your faith is a gift from God, that he is the one who has opened up your heart? Have you thanked him for these things? Have you praised him for them? You see, without God's sovereign grace, we would have have suffered for an eternity in hell because of our sins. But because of the sovereign grace of our God, instead of suffering for an eternity, we will praise God for an eternity. Praise God for his sovereign love towards us. As the Lord opened up Lydia's heart to believe the good news of Jesus Christ, This may have been convert number one on the soil of Europe. It may seem like a small beginning in our eyes, but small beginnings are okay. Here we have one woman convert on such a big continent, but God in time would spread his gospel far and wide across all of Europe. And I don't know many of you personally, but I'm fairly confident that most of your ancestors lived in Europe. In time, the Lord would bring the gospel to many of them and open, open up their hearts to believe the gospel so that in time they might also teach their children the good news of salvation. It's amazing to think that the conversion of Lydia was the start of that work in that part of the world. Well, Paul and his companions were probably thrilled that the Lord had blessed their work so quickly upon setting foot in Macedonia, However, the conversion of Lydia may have left left the apostles scratching their head a little. And this is why. These men were first prevented from going into Asia, and then had a vision of a man of Macedonia begging them to come help. When they get to Macedonia, whom does the Lord first convert? But a woman... From the city of Thyatira, which is in the province of Asia. This was probably everything but what Paul expected to happen in Philippi after his vision. But it leads us to confess that God's ways truly are unsearchable for us, that no one has been his counselor. God is the one who builds his church, and he does it according to his marvelous plan. And this brings us to our third point. Having responded with faith to the gospel message, Lydia is then baptized. And this, of course, is a natural step after an unbeliever comes to faith, since baptism is is a sign and seal of God's covenant love. And having received the sign of the covenant, Lydia would have also been charged to respond to God's grace by living a new life of obedience. And in this, we can begin to see that the Lord not only opened up her heart to believe the gospel, but he was also beginning to work the fruit of faith in her life. And verse 15 of our text says that not only was Lydia baptized, but also the members of her household. And from this, we can see the wonderful covenant grace of God. See, God is not stingy with his covenant fellowship, as he also includes the members of Lydia's household. That would be a great privilege for them, too. And our God is still the same God today. And he is still generous, generous with his covenant fellowship. God still delights to work with families. And this can be a great encouragement for all the parents Parents, you can rejoice in this, for God shows himself to be a God who works with families. You can raise your children with confidence in the Lord, knowing that he has also given his covenant promises to your children, that they too are incorporated into God's church, and that the Holy Spirit has been promised to them. Our Lord God, our covenant God, is certainly there to help us raise our children according to his covenant so that our children might respond in faith. Now, Lydia's household could have included both slaves and children. And at this point, I would like to take a moment to show how the household baptisms of the New Testament, like we have in our text, supports the doctrine of infant baptism. Now, of course, the text does not say that there were any children in Lydia's household. So you might wonder, how could a passage like this possibly support the doctrine of infant baptism? Well, there are a number of reasons. In the first place, and most simply, household baptisms would be something we would expect to see on the pages of the New Testament if infant baptism was indeed practiced by the early church. But we would not expect to see them if they practiced believers-only baptism. Yet household baptism seemed to be a fairly regular occurrence. Secondly, the old covenant pattern was that believers and their households received the sign of, of, of the covenant, which was circumcision. Think of Abraham and his household. This pattern appears to be continued in the new covenant era in the household baptisms. Lydia first believed the gospel and then her household was baptized. The text does not mention children, but it also does not mention the members of her household believing either. If the new covenant pattern were actually different from the old covenant, we would expect the text to point this out to us, but it does not do it. Finally, there are a number of household baptisms in the New Testament, with two of them right here in Acts 16. Are we to suppose that there were no children in any of these households? It is possible, but highly unlikely as well. So, in short, though the host household baptisms in the New Testament do not nail down the doctrine of infant baptism, they certainly fit it like a glove and give an overall picture that supports this practice, a practice that should be treasured by us all. After Lydia and her household are baptized, Lydia and in, in then invited the men to stay at her home by saying, If you consider me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. You see, an instant bond was created by Lydia and the people who brought the gospel to her, And what united them so quickly and so closely was their common Lord, their common Savior. And as Christians, we must remember that what unites us is not a common nationality, a common culture, or family ties. What unites us all together is a common Savior and a common faith. And because of the unity they enjoyed... Lydia offered a hand of hospitality to these men, further demonstrating that the Lord was working faith in her, or the fruit of faith in her life. Think about it. She had just met these men who previously were strangers to her, but now she wants to show love to them by caring for their physical needs. And later on, the church would also meet at Lydia's home. She not only wanted to share hospitality with these men, but to the whole church. And this was all part of the sanctifying work of the Spirit in her life. Showing hospitality is a great way to demonstrate the love of Christ to others. And it's something we can all do. So let me ask you Have you responded to God's grace in your life in a similar way? Have you made it a goal in your life and in your family to practice hospitality? Have you ever opened up your heart and your home to your fellow believers and to those who are interested in the gospel? By doing so, you can display the love of Christ to them. What the conversion of Lydia shows us is that from beginning to end, Salvation is the result of God's sovereign grace. God is the one who sends messengers of the gospel to where he wills. He is the one who opens up hearts to respond to the message. And he is the one who works the fruit of faith in our lives. God is the one who does all of these things. And he is the one who deserves our praise, both now and eternally. Amen. Let us now respond by singing Hymn 46, all four stanzas.